If I put in $1,000, the most I could lose is $1,000. Whereas me, as the manager of the property and the, and the sponsor of the deal, um, the bank could, could come after me and foreclose on me and then, and then go, you know, come after my personal assets. Welcome to another episode of The Michael Maloney Show where we take you on a journey around the world, exploring the stories of successful individuals and learning from their achievements and struggles. Join us as we delve into the why and how behind their accomplishments and discover how to live a more fulfilling life. Yeah, so Jeff, I first met you at a football tailgate quite a few years ago, and then since then our relationship has grown quite a bit professionally. I never would have expected that. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. You go to go to a football tailgate and you expect just to meet a bunch of people and sit around and drink beer. And then um, you don't really expect to build professional relationships with those people. I guess maybe it's because it's <clears throat> it doesn't happen all the time that way. But it, it was kind of an eye opener to me um, because since then, you've become somebody I really look up to. Um, I, I look at you, Jeff, as a mentor, a friend, um, a business associate, somebody who I think will probably do business together someday. Um, so we're, we're friends, business people on all different levels. So it's pretty cool. But, um, Jeff, I guess I'm, I'm, I just, today I would really like to dive deep into what you do, you know, what, why you do what you do, you know, like what your vision of the world is, stuff like that. So first of all, I guess just tell us who you are. So like you said, my name's Jeff Niemeyer. I am the host of the student of money podcast I'm also an entrepreneur, uh, I'm a real estate investor, and I focus a lot on mindset and personal and professional development like yourself. So I started my first business in 2002, uh, left my employer, started a technology business, ran that for several years. It was very capital intensive. I learned a lot. I made a ton of mistakes. Uh, I ended up selling that company three years later through a, to a venture capital firm awesome. and started a second business, <clears throat> kind of a spinoff of that first one. I knew, I knew I eventually wanted to get into real estate. And in 2005, through my business, an opportunity actually came up to put an offer in on my first property. And why did you want, how did you know you wanted to get into real estate, Jeff? Let me just stop you there quick. Yeah. Like at that question. point, when you were working, doing your own thing, what made you still want to seek other avenues of wealth? Well, I, I did have a family member that was heavily, heavily into real estate and he was doing pretty well. So I always knew it was out there. But as I was learning, doing my training uh, for my business, I was I really dived deep into Robert Kiyosaki and mm. obviously Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. Uh, I met Robert at a few uh, national events. I was going to a lot of trade shows and a lot of events. Um, and I actually was looking for opportunities. And it just seemed like um, all of that personal development. And Robert Kiyosaki, obviously, is a big real estate guy as well. So they they talk about it quite a bit as well. So um, for I, originally it was a, it was a business and, and, and I'm still have a business orientation, but I would also argue that real estate is simply just another business. It's just kind of a specialty 
but you know, a lot of people Definitely. use it for wealth creation and maybe have a primary job. But I said, why can't your business be in the business of real estate? Just go all into it instead of being like a part-time. Just go all in. So what I did, if you, when you want to go all in and you want to make real estate your primary focus and your primary business, you learn how to do what's called real estate syndications, uh, where you can go to six-figure incomes rather rapidly as opposed to just buying one or two properties a year or buying a property every year or every three years, uh, which is what a lot of people can do because that's what they can afford. When you learn to use OPM or other people's money, you can actually accelerate your growth much quicker. And when you learn how to use not your money, but and I would say the same thing with a business, you know, um, because when you start a business, the, the where did I get my money? The first thing I did is I refinanced my house and I pulled a ton of equity out of my house to kind of finance my business. And today I advise people not to do that. I again, I say use investors, use OPM, other people's money to grow and to not not use your own money, because the, the moment you learn to use other people's money to grow your business and to grow your real estate portfolio, you know, the you, you're you can accelerate and grow much more rapidly. It's almost like a mindset or a way of doing business. It's, it's being super creative and resourceful. It's like, yeah, you could use your own money. You could use the money that you might have. You might not have that. But if you can figure out a way to, and it's, it also goes along with the abundance mindset, just truly believing that there's money out there, then yeah, going out, putting yourself in the right rooms, meeting the right people, getting your ducks in a row so that you can put together a pitch deck, which you've taught me about, basically a presentation of what the investment would look like. You put that together, find the right people, and then, like you said, you're using OPM, other people's money. It's that's that's brilliant. So you started your business, you sold it, then you got into real estate, and then, from my understanding of knowing you, Jeff, you you did real estate for what five to ten years, and here we are now, or maybe even a little bit longer. And then now you're looking into the syndications. So I've done about six different businesses, uh, and the first two were technology businesses after my employment. And then, and then I bought my first piece of real estate. And then, like I said, you rapidly run out of your own money and you have to figure out ways to do it. So, um, so then I started going to, there's this step where you use your own money and then you run out of your money. And then you go to your friends and family network because your friends and family network know, like, and trust you, which are the th three things that, that people have to do in order to invest with you. Uh, they need to so, know you, they need to like you, and they need to trust you. Yeah, first sense. they have to know you, obviously. And then now then they have to like you, and then they have to be able to trust you in order for them to invest with you. Uh, so, And, of course, that's pretty much built in with your friends and family network. They already know you, they already like you, and they already trusted you. And the funny Hopefully. thing is, is <laughs> my family-in-law actually invested with me where my personal family did not. My parents and my siblings and my cousins – knew me because they knew little Jeff. I was the baby, the family, and they didn't <laughs> invest with me. But my family in law, who, you know, I was dating their daughter, married their daughter, they actually knew me and trusted me more than my own family did. So they actually <laughs> put they actually invested with me into my real estate. Um and then and then I found out that when you start using other people's money like that, 
there's things out there called real estate syndications that are considered private placements. So you start to get into securities law. So about 2010, 2011, I really started diving heavily into securities and syndications and how do you grow your real estate portfolio using OPM or other people's money and what's the legalities with that? Uh, you know, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of legal, when you start, when you start using other people's money, you're essentially going well beyond real estate at that point in time. Now you're dealing with securities laws. So there's a whole nother area that you have to start to learn about so that you're compliant with security. So mm -hmm. I went out and took my Series 65, uh, which is the investment advisor exam, and really started to go to a lot of training and learning about how to legally uh, do private placements and syndications. And we've done that for probably you know the last five to seven years. And then in 2019, I made the decision that I wanted to go from syndications to actually doing a real estate fund, which is uh, a much bigger project where you're raising larger amounts of money to buy bigger properties. So for anybody listening that doesn't understand what a syndication is, can you can you explain it in like the simplest terms quick? And then and then we can talk about the you know the difference between a syndication and a fund. And to me, I think they're almost identical, but just bigger boats. But yeah, if you could explain that. Yeah, so a syndication is basically I have investors that invest money. Uh, typically, like you said, we'll put together a pitch deck. Let's just say I want to go buy this apartment building. I'll, I'll use one of my first deals for as an example. There was a 16-plex apartment building that I wanted to buy. I needed about $120,000, which is 20% down payment. Well, I didn't have $120,000. So I went to my friends and family network and I found five individuals that was able to put together in groups of $10,000, $15,000. One person gave me $25,000 and they invested with me, but they're essentially silent partners on the deal. And because Limited partners, right? Technically. So they're they're limited partners is what it's called. So it, you, you know there's joint ventures and there's partnerships. Let's just say you and me decided to buy an apartment building together. I bring half the money, you bring half the money. I do half the work, you do half the work, or maybe we just hire out a property management company. That's not a syndication. That's a partnership, right? That's a, maybe even a joint venture. We're, we have two entities coming together to bring down a bigger property than we can afford alone. But we both have responsibilities and we're essentially partners at that point in time with a limited partner in a syndication. Uh, these are people that want to invest in real estate, but don't want anything to do with the management of the property. Right. They don't want to be fixing the toilets, doing property management, things of that sort. So uh, they probably don't have the time or the know how one of the two. Yeah. Or both. They know that real estate is something that they want to invest in, but they don't want any of the headaches, right? So it's almost like going out and buying Microsoft stock. I'm going to just to deploy this money with this person and they're going to invest it for me. And the advantages of a limited partner is it's non-recourse, which means they're not responsible if the property 
uh, fails, if it goes through a foreclosure or a bankruptcy. So you're, you're limited on your liability. You essentially, if I put in $1,000, the most I could lose is $1,000. Whereas me, as the manager of the property and the, and the sponsor of the deal, um, the bank could, could come after me and foreclose on me and then, and then go, you know, come after my personal assets. So there's risk involved, right? Just like anything else. If you, you know, and you're the general partner, correct? So there's a limited partner and the general partner. Right. So I structure my deals as limited partnerships. You can do them as LLCs as well. Uh, but as LLCs, there's still two classes. There's a A class and a B class. But essentially, there's always there's always the main person that's the general partner and is the sponsor of the deal. And they're the ones that are in control of the deal. So, you know, so the question would be was why would anyone invest their money in a deal that they don't control? Well, again, that comes down to they want to invest into real estate because real estate is one of those three of three-legged stools, right? You've got stocks, you got bonds, which are paper assets, and you've got real estate. You can invest in businesses. So you're starting to dive into the world of securities. I mean, there's hedge funds out there. There's venture capital. There's private equity. Um, you know, p- people. There's crypto funds. There's all kinds of things that people can invest in that are private and that's the difference. And then, you know, now that's getting into the whole other thing. When I go out to the NASDAQ or I go out to uh, the New York Stock Exchange and I go buy Microsoft stock, Apple stock, uh, whatever John Deere, whatever company I'm buying into, those are publicly traded stocks on, on the stock exchange, right? Um, so, and those are available for everybody. All, most people's retirements, their 401ks, their pension funds, all of those are, in, are, are invested into these public, uh, these public stocks and these public securities. Well, there's also these private securities, which is exactly what a real estate syndication is, uh, that is out there that people can invest in, um, so the differences between what's public and what's private. So the big difference is, is with these private entities, you typically have to be what's called an accredited investor in order to invest in these. So when they talk about, well, these are available to the rich, but not to the public. And the government does that because they're trying to, they're always trying to make things safe, right? So it's supposedly it's safe to invest in the stock market and get these average returns in the stock market. Whereas the reality is, is a lot of the pension funds, a lot of uh, your, you know, your pension or your retirement, things of that sort, they actually invest in these private deals. A lot of insurance companies invest in them. There's things out there called family offices. And then, of course, there's high net worth people like doctors and lawyers. And a lot of, a lot of my investors are our upper management at these companies that qualify as credited investors. And their main job every day is to work their their job every day, but they want to invest into real estate. So they'll invest on one of these private deals with me as a limited partner. But And then in exchange for that, not only do they get a return, but they also get limited liability protection in that they can only lose the amount of money that they actually put into the deal. Wow, that's some that's some deep stuff. And to a lot of people who have never heard of it, like I've heard of syndication, I've read up, I've read books yeah. about it, I've watched videos. I feel like I understand it pretty well, and you still just confuse the hell out of me. I mean, there 
there's there's a lot to that, and it's it's literally it's like a foreign language to most people. But that's the exciting about thing about it is like just by dipping your foot in it and just starting to learn about it or looking up a YouTube video, you're opening yourself up to a whole new possibilities of, of ways of making money. And, you know, as anybody can tell, you're not just going to go out and start a syndication on your own, right? Right. Without knowing anything about this, but you could find somebody like Jeff who's putting together a deal for a fund and then go in as a limited partner, see how it works, see how he goes out and finds the deal presents all the terms to you, you invest, it goes well. And then you, you meet people like Jeff and then all of a sudden you're doing these kind of deals with them. So it's, it's really exciting stuff. And you can tell like, so for, for also for anybody listening, if you go around town, like a downtown area and you look and you see like a 200 unit apartment building, or like right now they're building a lot of these like three or four story buildings where the bottom level is like mixed commercial use. Like, mm-hmm. You'll see restaurants or barbershops, salons in the bottom level or, you know, bars. And then the top three are all residential. More than likely, that kind of building is funded with a syndication or some sort of fund. So a lot of times you find these wealthy business owners that they're like, okay, I have all this money, but I don't have the time to go and invest this. So then they find somebody like Jeff who's working his day, you know, every single day during the day, Jeff's working on putting together deals putting together these plans and then presenting them to people. Like I was just talking about business owners with money that they have the money, but they don't have the time. So they, they divert the money to Jeff and then they're still making good income rather than just putting it into the stock market. It's just higher risk, higher reward. Probably. Would you agree with that, Jeff? Yeah, but they're calculated risks, you know, and that, again, that's part of the disclosures that you give out, but there's tons of examples. You know, we're in, we're in Eastern Iowa, uh, where they've talked about like building a casino in Cedar Rapids. Well, the group that put that bid together to go to the Iowa Gaming Commission to get that casino license, that's a syndication. That's a group of of probably tens, if not hundreds, of investors that are putting money into uh, to build that casino. Also, ethanol plants. Ethanol plants in Iowa mm. are typically done as a syndication. So they approach a lot of farmers that obviously are in the corn industry. And uh, a lot of farmers will invest into ethanol plants and be owners as limited partners. So there's just a, so like you said, there's a lot of these bigger investments that are out there that people really don't, the, the, the average person on the street uh, can't take advantage of because they're private and they really don't know about them and, and they don't really talk about it a whole lot. Uh, so, but that's exactly where the big money is. And I'm actually amazed on how much like insurance companies invest into real estate that you never really think about and you really never know about, but they're a major player. And so are like large properties, probably into, into large properties. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, pension funds are into it. Uh, these colleges that have, um, um, what are they, what do they call their, their group, the money for the colleges that they have, you know, they have their, their scholarship money and things of that sort that they have to invest. Uh, and, and they put them into these private placements and then, of course, there's family offices, which are basically high net worth individuals that basically have an entire team that they hire to deploy their money mm. uh, and, and invest into deals. So they just don't give their money to Wall Street. They actually have their own people 
that that they're looking for deals that uh, depending on what their criteria is for each family. So, you know, there's a lot mm. of people out there that that qualify that can that that can invest into these deals, and and just about every business owner uh, is typically an accredited investor as well. They also opened it up, and I will say too, they also opened it up now recently within the last few years that if you're an attorney, if you're a CPA, if you have professional accreditation, if you're an investment advisor, uh, if you're a if you've got your past your Series Six or Seven, uh, which is for like broker dealers. Those also are people that are accredited investors, and they so it's not all about how much money you make. They also make it so that if you if you're a licensed attorney, then you're also considered an accredited investor as well. Um, but you know, again, That's we might be getting outside the scope uh, as far as the original. But that business is completely different than just being a real estate investor and buying some rental properties. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> The old phrase, the more you know, the more you know you need to learn or whatever, more, something yeah. like that. It's just like, wow, you know, you dip your feet into real estate, single family, and then you go to multifamily. And then, yeah, it's just, it's really, really pretty sweet. So Jeff and anybody watching the video can see that Jeff is wearing a shirt that says student of money. And Jeff, I want to hear more about that. I think somebody who's interested in what you've been talking about might benefit from learning more about student of money. So what do you have going on there? So student of money is the branding that I had decided to use because that's what I am is I'm, I'm a student and I'm always learning and I'm always, you never stop learning. And when I say student of money, um, you know, everybody works for money. We go to work, we get a job, all of those things. And we're all kind of like chasing the dollar, but you really need to understand what exactly the dollar is and and you know when you're trading your time for money it um there's other ways to go about it so i'm always looking at looking for passive residual income and ways that i'm not having to trade my time for money so passive I, residual income passive residual income Right. So Robert Kiyosaki talks about the E's, the S's, the B's and the I's. You're either an employee, you're a small business owner, you're a big business owner or you're an investor. Right. So if you're an employee or a small business owner or a specialist, say a doctor, an attorney, anyone that's trading their time for money, you're you're basically, you know, you you say I make. $15 an hour, I make $25 an hour, or my CPA charges me $150 an hour. It's always tying that I, in order to get paid, I have to put the time in to get the paycheck. Well, you know, I'm always looking for passive income, which is one of the reasons why I'm into real estate. So I don't want to be chasing, chasing the dollar and having to put in time. I'm always looking for passive means which will free up my time and actually buy back my time. So a lot of people don't even know what passive income means, Jeff. So just to make it clear for everybody, would you agree passive income means it's basically something where you set it up and then beyond just a little bit of management. And some people think that it's truly no management or no, no focus on it, that then you still reap rewards. Is that true or, or income? <clears throat> passive income should be where if I was to step away for a month, and go on vacation, I'm going to get paid and it's going to keep coming in whether I'm working or not or 
you know. So the, when I go to work, I go to work to increase my passive income. And then, so just think of it like a high water mark, right? I work so much to get this level of income. And then I can go ahead and leave, but I still maintain this level of income. And then when I go to work again, what am I doing? I'm working to raise my income and then I can quit at any time, but I always get it, get it to a certain spot and maintain it. So a lot of people that are employed W2, right? They are all looking for retirement and what happens at retirement when they retire, their income goes down, right? Because they're no longer putting in their time for money and they're actively yeah, the shut off. Yeah, the stream shut off and they're actively planning for their income coming down. And so they have to put money into a 401k, into an IRA. They have to they have to actively try to save. And unfortunately, what's happened over the last 30, 40, 50 years is the uh, we've had a transition from pensions to 401ks which is taking the, the sh- it's shifting the burden for your retirement from your employer to you as the employee. It used to sure. be a defined benefit. With a pension, say you worked for the city or you worked for the state and you had a, received a pension, you would work your 20 years or whatever you did, but when you retired, you had a defined benefit every month for the rest of your life. And then if you passed away, it then went to your spouse before it ended. Right. So that's a pension. Well, now it is you have to contribute to a 401k. So now it's a defined contribution. It's how much money you put in there. So now everybody pulls out their retirement and they take a look at, oh, do I have a hundred thousand in my retirement portfolio? Do I have two hundred thousand? So unfortunately, the average net worth or the median, let me say I'm going to call it the median, the median net worth. For somebody that's in their 50, 50 years old is about $260,000, which is actually really low. That, and, yeah, to live and, off of that once and, they retire. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, you know, they always used to say you want to have about a million dollars to retire comfortably. Well, that was 20 years ago. You really need about two to four million to really retire comfortable because if you talk to any any planner, they're going to talk about how do you want to live and you want to pull about four percent off of without digging into your principal, right? So what do you mean the four percent? You're saying four percent per year? Is what you should take off what your your stockpile of cash essentially? Right. So if I have a million dollars and you can invest that million dollars into the stock market, if you get a four percent return on that without dipping into that principal, can you live off that four percent? Right. So you're uh, saying it would stay the your pile would stay the same, but you would live off of the off, inter- off of the, the money it would gain. I see. Okay. Right. Right. And that's typically what that, you know, without, without dipping into that. So that's typically what, what uh, financial planners talk about when like, you know, they always want to know, okay, how much money do you make? What age do you want to retire? And then what type of lifestyle do you want to have when you retire? And then they kind of do this calculation backwards and say, well, okay, you need like 1.2 million in, in, in assets and then you know the average the average is going to be four five six percent return on that. That's what you're going to have to live on without dipping into that, dipping into that principle, 
and what and and the statistics are showing is that most people in their 50s the the median is about 250 260,000 and the majority of that is going to be the the house that they live in they always talk about how your house is your typically your biggest asset and it's your biggest investment and unfortunately your house doesn't kick off passive residual income mm. you know your house according to robert kiyosaki is not an asset it's it's a liability because you have to continue to feed it and you have to continue to pay things like insurance and property taxes and maintenance. It doesn't actually kick off cash. So your your house is actually your bank's asset, not yours, or at least your mortgage is, right? So when you take a look at assets and liabilities, um, and, and net worth is basically just what's your assets minus your liabilities, that's your net worth. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I got into real estate is because Real estate is typically, if you don't make your wealth into real estate, you'll hold your wealth in real estate because real estate is one of those things that is a hedge against inflation. So when we go back to the original question of student of money, you know, I study monetary theory. I study uh, how, the, how the dollar works. You know, what do you do with it? How do you invest it? Uh, what do you do? So it's, it's more than just real estate. And and really, you know, how do you earn your dollar and then how do you want to retire and and do you want to retire early? So what I do is I try to teach people to become financially free, which means they have more passive income than their monthly expenses. OK, great. Right? How does somebody reach out to you or how do they I mean, you make YouTube videos, don't you? Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel out there, uh, Student of Money, you can find me at. I've also got a website at studentofmoney.org that I also post our videos on. I've got our weekly podcast that was out there. You know, it's on iHeartRadio, it's on Apple, it's on Amazon, it's on all the typical Student of Money podcast. Yep, Student, Student of Money, Money podcast, podcast okay. and the Student of Money YouTube channel. And then, of course, you can find all of the links and content to that at our studentofmoney.org website. Well, and if you are local to Jeff and I, the Cedar Rapids, anywhere in Iowa, every, I believe it's the last Sunday of the month. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, it's typically the third or the third or fourth Sunday of each month. Um, Jeff has a um, financial mastermind event, like Jeff just said, third or fourth Sunday of the month at the Cedar Rapids Public Library um, in an auditorium there. Great opportunity for anybody looking to get into real estate, learn more. Um, just rub their shoulders with other people who are doing it. It's a great spot to go. And then that's a great, that's an opportunity for you to meet Jeff in person. Um, he's the kind of person where if you have any kind of a question, he'll nail it, he'll answer, he'll go in depth. And, and he's, he's the kind of person you want on your side, whether you're already investing or you're looking to get into invest, investments. Um, he's definitely great when it comes to that. But um, Jeff, now, so we've kind of talked about what you're really good at. Um, you know, what, what has led you to, become good at it and, and so interested in real estate. Now, I guess I'd like to kind of learn more about like, you know, what you do in your free time. Like, cause, cause you know, what you do with your life right now does take a lot of focus and a lot of hard work. And to a lot of people, they would say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to start a business and, and live off of that. Or I'm just going to continue to work at a job and just live off of that. But everything you do is, is, is not easy. And so it's, it's, I'm wondering like, why do you do it? What do you, what is your goal with all, with everything that you have going on? 
And that, yeah, and that was, that's a deep question. So you probably have to think about it for a second. Yeah. I mean, everything is thought out kind of ahead of time and kind of pre-programmed. Um, so I do everything with a purpose in mind, I guess. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm always taking a look at one of the, one of the major things. And as an entrepreneur or a business owner, you could probably relate is a, is a, an idea called delayed gratification. And that you have to put your time in first before you get a return on it. And a lot of times when you're building a business or when you're building a brand or we're doing what we're doing, you know, we're putting in a lot of time and effort and a lot of work to build this brand up, but we're not getting paid. And that's the difference. It's like a belief so, in the later yeah. return. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that you have to put, you know, if I want to fire, I have to put the wood in first before I get the heat. That's and, a good analogy, and, for sure. <laughs> so It is. I mean, it makes so much sense, though. So many people aren't willing to go find the logs to build the fire, right? So I really like that. Yeah, but 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 the problem is, is a lot of people are, are if I do an hour of work, I want to get paid for that hours of work. You know, um, totally. they, they're, they're not willing to take the risk or maybe they maybe they're just struggling. They're redlining too much. Right. Um, so like one of the things is if you go to my vehicle and look at my console or my my, you know, you're not going to see me listening to music. I am totally almost all the time engaged in audio learning. So I call my truck my mobile university where I'm always listening like to audio tapes. I'm always trying to push out the bad content from the news and everything that's going on and always trying to feed my brain with, uh, uh, you know, the content that's going to make me grow and get me to the next level. So I'm not a big binge watcher of television. I don't sit down and do <laughs> Netflix. Um, I'm always constantly in this learning mode and, um, you know, the, there's a concept that I was taught early on that you really need to guard your gates, which is your ears, your mouth, your eyes on what you're bringing in. And you really need to be focusing on where you want to go and what you want to do. So, you know, I'm always I'm always in a building uh, environment where I'm trying to learn new things. I'm trying to um, build a business. And but it's hard. It's hard to do delay gratification especially if you're just kind of just getting by, you know, and, and, and if you're struggling and you're just trying to figure out how to pay this month's bills, you know, um, the first thing you really need to do is try to take control of your spending and take control of your, you know, what you're doing. And, uh, that's why I, I've, I've decided to take five, <clears throat> five people on it for one year where I'm going to mentor them for free and I'm going helping them. And the very first step we do is take a really hard look at where they're at today. So they pull their credit scores. They get their FICO scores. They pull their credit reports. Uh, we have them fill out a personal financial statement. And we take a real hard look at where they're at and then where do they want to go. And then how, how should we get you there, you know. Um, and, and how do we do maybe take a look at taxes, take a look at your amount of debt and all those types of things. And, you know, you'd be surprised and uh, most people have no idea and they really don't write it down and they really don't talk about it because there's three things that, you know, at the family dining room table or on Christmas that you typically don't talk about religion, politics and money. 
Those are kind of the <laughs> yeah. taboos that no one wants to talk about. And, and the reality is, is if you don't talk about finances and if you don't talk about money, you know, that's uh, unfortunately that dictates a lot. That dictates the house you live in, the va kind of vacations you have, mm. um, the lifestyle you live and all of that stuff. It's funny you say that. Um, and and I, I have to throw myself under the bus here. You, you talked about Netflix. I normally never watch Netflix. I, and and I, I used to use the word never, which is also breaking another one of my rules. But last night, um, being Mother's Day, I just I was watching some TV on Netflix, and when I do, I usually go to straight to documentaries, you know. And I and I I went to this one last night where they were. It was this guy who goes out and helps people correct their finances, learn about money and all this stuff. And he was talking about how most relationships, significant. He was really talking about significant relationships. People don't talk about money unless they're fighting. Like that's usually the, the time that it gets brought up. And, and oftentimes money is the root for divorce. And so if you're in a relationship with somebody, it's really, and especially before you even get married, it's important to have the conversation with your significant other. Like, what are your goals? What do you want to use money for? What are you okay with using money for? What are you against using money for? Like, what, what do you want to do with your life with money? Because so many people have different ideas and a lot of that a lot of what they their ideas are downloaded onto them when they're younger from their parents. So it's it's a really deep philosophy that you want to make sure you're talking about money with people. But from the, the original question, Jeff, was was, you know, what what is the driver? What is the why? And to me, it sounds like from what from you saying that you're doing, you know, five free, um, you know, you're working with people, five consultations. Um, it sounds like you're really into like helping other people also be successful with finances. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, definitely. That's why, uh, that's why I am helping people. And, and, you know, it's about how do we become financially free to free up our time. And I, I didn't get started until I was in my thirties and I'm mentoring people that are 23, 24, 25. They're that already awesome? well on their way. Yeah, and it's really I cool. just enjoy it. I, yeah, it's to me, it's fun. To me, it's it's the it's the game, um, and 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 the game of finance and being able to free up your time, and because time is your number one asset that you have, and unfortunately, 100%. if you're trading, if if you're trading your time for dollars, you know, uh, dollars really aren't that valuable. You know, it's time is what's valuable. So you really need to figure out how to buy back your time and how to be able to free up your time so that you can really do what you want to do and not what you have to do, which is go to work and go to a job to pay your bills and to provide for your family and to do all of those things. But when you're able to buy back your time and your freedom where you get to do what you really want to do, you know, that's really the key and where you want to go is to have that freedom. Before we continue, I'd like to take a moment to share something I'm passionate about with you. If you're someone who is constantly striving for personal growth and loves surrounding yourself with other motivated individuals, you're going to want to hear about this. Check out growthgroupinc.com. This is an exclusive community made up of high achievers and dynamic entrepreneurs just like you. It's a space where like-minded individuals come together, collaborate, and support each other on their own journey to success. Growth Group is more than just a community, it's a collective mindset, a commitment to getting better every single day. 
We believe in the power of connection, collaboration, and constant growth. And we're confident that being part of this community will give you an unparalleled advantage on your path to success. So take a moment, visit growthgroupincorporated.com and join us as we elevate our lives together. Trust me, this is one investment in your future you will not regret. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Yeah, you think about a business person, they need to be opportunistic. And it's just like you said, taking the, the, the taking action on an opportunity to use your time, put your focus towards something that will reap higher rewards than you just doing it yourself or like working. I mean, yeah, it's entrepreneurs, entrepreneurism to somebody who has never done it can be really overwhelming just because it seems like there's so much, but it's worth it in the end, because like you said, you get to do with what you, your time, you have, you get to spend your time how you would like to. And, and, you know, I'm a believer in God. I don't know your religious beliefs, Jeff. Um, we don't need to get in, into this on the show, but you know, there's, there's something to be said that we don't know if, if there's an afterlife, even if you do believe in afterlife, yeah. there's no guarantee. And so let's do what we can with this life. And truly, in my opinion, an entrepreneur is somebody who is willing to take the effort to, while life is already crazy, identify an opportunity, fact check that opportunity to create belief in yourself that you can successfully live it out, live out the endeavor, and then just go for it and, and go for it and let the belief that working for yourself and creating something on your own is well more rewarding, way more rewarding than, like you said, working for trading your time for money. I mean, it's nothing against that. That's probably more common than owning a business. But at the same time, I'm never going to try to talk somebody out of running a business because there's something to be said for starting something on your own and 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 growing it and, and having it run itself that's much more safe and secure than working for some company that at the end of the month looks at their balance sheet and says, whoa, we've got way too much in labor. We've got to cut a hundred of our 400 employees. And then you, next thing you know, you're out of your job. So I think there's multiple reasons. Yeah. Great reasons to try to do it and to seek out opportunities to try to build your own business. And if anybody's looking for those kind of things, especially in real estate, Jeff is the man to talk to. I mean, like he just said, look at this guy. He is literally helping five people out of the kindness of his heart, just because he wants to give back. He wants to teach people. And he is, he's teaching people that are in the low twenties. He just, Jeff just said how he didn't get going in real estate hardcore until the thir- his thirties. Think about what he's doing for people that if, if they take his advice and run with it, it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. There's a couple people that are really knocking it out of the park and, and starting out early and, you know, they're they're going to be successful they're trying you know there's one one guy we're working with that's got a lot of rental property and his goal is obviously to replace his full-time employment place replace his job there's another guy doing short-term uh, airbnb rentals that that is his full-time gig and he didn't go to college and you know he's continuing to also get long-term rental income with uh, um apartment complexes as well as the short-term rentals so you know it's just fun watching these guys uh, at, at their young age because they're so successful and and they've already got not just one house but they've got multiple houses that are working away 
and um, and and they're just much happier, and they're safe. It's more safety. It's I, I I think there's a fallacy out there that if you've got a really good job, it's safe and secure. I know of three of my friends that I'm I'm 53. They've worked for their big companies for 20, 25 years, and they all got laid off or fired. Yeah, and, and they were highly paid individuals, and they got let go. And they basically said, I've got to go find work for five to 10 years before I can start drawing on my retirement. And, you know, so that that whole, I think, job safety, there's nothing more safe than owning your own business and being entrepreneurial because I'm not dependent on someone else for my success. You know, I've tried firing myself. I can't do it. I just can't, you know. (laughs) I can't no, you, myself. You, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, a lot of people don't start a business or don't quit their job because of the uncertainty, also known as the risk, the unknown of what could happen if they quit their job. But what a lot of people don't realize, because they aren't looking at it from the business owner perspective, that their job is more risky than them taking a risk and going and starting a business. Because what a lot of people underestimate is how much time, if they're healthy and they take care of themselves, they have in their life and what would what they would do if they failed. I don't fear failure. I really don't. Like if I fail, it's a it's an yeah. opportunity to learn. Right. Yeah. And, and that's that's what gets so many people. The analysis paralysis. They just they just analyze everything, you know, and just try to figure out why they could or what what why they would be successful, why they won't be successful. And. Yeah, you definitely have to do that. You have to build that intuition muscle as an entrepreneur, but don't let the analysis of should I do this or what if I fail prevent you from going into an endeavor. So, Jeff, with with that, with everything you Okay, so this que- this next question is going to be really good for anybody who wants to get into real estate, who is interested in finances. Jeff, since you really got hardcore going into real estate in your 30s, if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self some advice, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, start early and then follow a mentor. Find a local mentor that is doing or has done what you want to do and, and you know, mirror them. So there's a lot of national mentors that I can read their books and I can go to their seminars and things like that. But you almost need someone also local, like maybe Eastern Iowa or something or someone. That's why I say go out to these mastermind groups, go out to these monthly meetings and and talk and find some of these people. So I would tell myself, one, start earlier because there really is a thing called momentum and there really is uh, where things start to exponentially grow. So the earlier you start, the better. And then find a mentor and find find someone local. There you go. Go to somebody who's done it. If you won $10 million tomorrow, and I I think I know what you're going to say to this, where would you spend it? (laughs) I I would put it into my own fund. I would, so um, I would create a family office, which is what these guys do is they take this large amount of money and, you know, I wouldn't go out and buy a bunch of stuff. I, I would actually go out and buy a bunch of assets and then live off of the cash flow of that assets. So, so when you say assets, for somebody who doesn't know what an asset would be, 
Yeah. An apartment asset building, is something an apartment that, complex. Yeah. An asset is something that puts money back into your pocket, and a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. That's why Robert Kiyosaki says your home is not an asset because your personal residence takes money out of your home. And then, yes, it's on your balance sheet and you do have equity into it, but you can't live off that equity. You can't eat your house. You can't do, you know, you live in your house, but it doesn't, you have to feed the house. It, so you have to, it takes money out of your pocket. So an asset is something that puts money into your pocket. So if I, you know, won $10 million in a lottery, but by the way, I don't pay, play the lottery. Because the chances of winning the lottery is one in 330 million. The chances of me being successful is 100%. So I'd much rather oh, bet on, man. I bet like on that. me, right? I just got goosebumps, Jeff. That's great. <laughs> That's a good one. So, yeah. I mean, the success, the chances of me making a million dollars is 100%. So I'm always going to bet on me because that's the way it's going to work. But so I don't play. Matter of fact, I did a podcast on that when it was at crazy high numbers. Friend, all of our friends were like, hey, we're going to pitch all pitch in and get a big pot, right? And go buy a bunch of lottery tickets. Are you in? And I told them no. And they're like, well, if we win, we're not cutting you in. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. You know, I hope you do win, but I'm not. Yeah, right. Because, you know, so anyway. Uh, but that's what I would do is I'd go out and I'd buy assets. I would buy apartment buildings. I would invest into other people's deals. I would create a fund of funds, as it's called. And I would then be uh, basically an investor in, you know, I'm always looking for 30-year-old versions of me to invest in is, mm. is what I'm looking okay. for. So, okay. you know, I would invest into their deals. When you and I, I just have two more questions for you, and they're, they're they're a little out there. When you were okay, when you were like ten years old, Jeff, what did you want to be? A pilot. Actually, there was two okay. things. Um, for some reason, I was fascinated about the Marine Corps early in life, and I actually joined the Marine Corps. Um, so I'm a veteran. I did 13 years in the Thank Marine you. Corps. So I've got drawings when I was a little kid of the Eagle Globe and Anchor that I used to do, and uh, I was also fascinated with aviation. So I was going to go into the Marine Corps and potentially be like an F-18 pilot, things like that. Uh, wow. But my eyesight wasn't good enough, but I did go to the Marine Corps. So okay. uh, I actually wrote a letter. I remember back in high school at, uh, you know, when the career planner's like, what do you want to be? And I wrote a letter back when, before there was email and cell phones and all this fun stuff to the FAA saying, how do I become a commercial pilot? And of course, one of the major ways people become a commercial pilot is uh, through the military. And, uh, you know, um, so that's a, that's a major way to do it. But I was a big aviation nut when I was little, and I was a big military nut when I was little. And uh, so really I neat. did join the Marine Corps, and I still love aviation. Uh, I haven't gotten my private pilot's license like you have. But, uh, you know, I used to, we used to do sailplanes. I used to go up a lot because my neighbor was a private pilot and we used to oh, go cool. flying all of the time. In either case, though, whether the military or, you know, a pilot, I mean, both of them, you, you're setting yourself up as a leader. Like that's something, either path is advanced and, and not easy. So that's, that's pretty cool. I, I didn't expect to get that takeaway from what you said, but just from you saying that you want you would like to be a pilot or in the Navy, that's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of, I guess you could say probably off, it's somewhat common for kids to say that kind of stuff, but then again, you compare it to what you wanted to be to where you are now, where you're 
piloting your life and you're in control of your funds. I mean, that that's pretty, that's really neat there. Well, um, the, the great thing about the military, and I just want to bring this up and, and Robert Kiyosaki talks about it too, is what you learn in the military is leadership. And that is the number one goal, especially in the Marine Corps. They really push leadership and, and uh, mission first, esprit de corps. And, you know, we are going to finish the mission. And, and, you know, that for an entrepreneur is what you really need because an entrepreneur or a business owner is really a leader first. And it's Amen. their job to lead the business and, and to, and to provide that leadership and management to their, to your employees and to your staff. So, you know, that was the one, the one big takeaway that the military really drives and instills in you. Hmm. Well, you see a lot of successful military past military professionals starting businesses and that's, yeah. that's really cool. And I, and that probably has a lot to do with what you were talking about there about leadership. So my would, last question, Jeff, sorry, go I, ahead. I would also say college athletes too are sure. typically really good business owners because that when they, when they compete at the collegiate level in athletics, division one, two or three, or whatever it may be, that competitiveness, which is one of the things I really love about athletics and sports in general is that it really is gearing you towards competitiveness and leadership skills and kind of the Teamwork. same path. Yeah. hundred so, percent. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's true. And I, I've also thought about that too, just to be a high school athlete and be seen and do well enough to also get into college and then to be successful in college while all your friends are, and you probably are too partying and mm -hmm. having a good time. That's, that takes a lot of self-discipline and leadership. And, yeah. and I, I couldn't agree more that, that you start to, I'm sure you can re relate. The older I got, the farther out of high school I got, the more I realized how I was a rarity, how, how it wasn't. And not that I'm like super smart or anything, but that I had that grit. I had the hard work. If I knew if I was going to set myself up towards something, I was going to do it. I was going to freaking find a way to do it. And, and this, you see the same thing in athletes. You say, the, you see the same thing in military professionals. They just have it. They have that drive to just Let's get it done. Let's let's just we're going to set ourselves up for this and we're going to follow through. And I think that's really some great some great stuff there. So my last question for you, Jeff, if what is the most important lesson? And it might take you a second to really think about this, but what is the most important lesson you've learned in your entire life? Like what what causes the most what has caused the most difference in your life or like what is like what's the one rule of thumb that you always live by? I would say it's got to be this be a constant student and be a constant learner just because you've left school and just because, you know, you, you have to you have to grow into the person that you want to become. So you are in life right where the past has brought you because of what your experiences and what you've done. So if you want to grow and you want to make more money, live a different lifestyle, you know, own a business, whatever it is, you have to grow into that. You have to become that person. So, you know, and, and the only way to do that is through personal development and to continue to grow. So you can't stop growing. Yeah. You have to do it yourself, right? It's, it's your own, you're in, you're driving your own boat. We all have our own boat to drive. You know, it's like, 
nobody else. And I'm guilty of this. I've had it where like, so like I've went through a rut in my life and I'm like, I, I wanted my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend, Sydney to like be that person to like push me out of bed in the morning or be like, Hey, why did you miss your work? Your fourth workout this week? Or like, Hey, why aren't you getting that job done? Well, no, that is not, it's not anybody else's responsibility, but our own to, to drive the boat and, and to figure out yeah. how to be successful. And, and then by having a mentor, you have an accountability buddy, right? So back in the days, and you know, I used to go to the gym on, for the lunch breaks and I had a lifting partner. And even the days that I didn't feel like going into the gym, I knew that he was going to be there and we needed to, he needed a spotter. So, mm. you know, when you have that accountability partner and, and that you have to answer to, and sometimes that's a mentor and it's, it's, yeah. it's not always a friend because a lot of times you need to hear, you need to hear the bad as well as the good. You know, if you need Amen. kicked in the butt to do something, you know, the, a true mentor will do that as opposed to just telling you what you want to hear. But, you know. So, because life does sneak in, and that's why I say guard your gates, you know, protect what you hear, be careful of what you talk about, be careful of what you view, you need to, you need to be making sure that you're continually reinforcing the positive and aligning yourself with people that are going to move you forward. So, while you were talking about that, Jeff, I just have one more remark here. I just thought of kind of a weird analogy, but it works really well, I think. So, a mentor... If you, if you, if you imagine like a course, like let's say there's a racetrack that goes through this jungle and over this mountain and through the middle of a volcano and all this crazy stuff, right? As you can imagine, that racetrack would be really difficult. And so, you know, when, if, when you have a mentor, the mentor is kind of like that person that's already went through the racetrack and already knows how to make the turns, go through the hard parts. They, they're going to see you getting overwhelmed and be like, oh, wow, this is scary. But they're going to tell you how to get through it. They're going to show you all the ins and outs of that racetrack so that you don't have to learn and you don't have to drive off of it or you don't have to die accidentally going the wrong way. That the mentor is just there to kind of it's almost like God, so to speak, where they oversee you and they just help you get through it. And don't be afraid to get a mentor because like Jeff said earlier, one of the biggest things that he recommends to anybody in life is to get somebody on their side that has done what you want to do. Why try to learn all the things yourself when you can find somebody else who's already done it, who's already went on that racetrack to the middle of a volcano and can teach you on how to get through there? I think that's some extremely valuable advice because for some stupid reason, everybody wants to do everything themselves. That's bullshit. There's no reason to do it like that. It's really not. Yeah, we're having this debate on uh, on AI right now, and and uh, my daughter who's in college, uh, one of her friends had you know the Chat GPT AI write a paper for her, and the professor found out about it and made her rewrite it again. And my daughter came to me and said, "But Dad, she cheated." And I said, I said, daughter, that's only cheating in college for that class. In business, that's called being smart. You yeah. know, I'm leveraging, yeah. I'm leveraging technology and other people, and 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 you know, business and entrepreneurship is a team sport. Where only in college or when you're taking tests, or does it come down to the individual, right? So you have to know. You want you got to have a good team around you, and that 
team of advisors and a team of mentors to help you get through things. So they only call it cheating in college and academia, right? But that's not how you want to get through life. So, and, and I've consulted with businesses in the past that were very gun shy about opening their books, disclosing their financials. And most of the time it's because they know they're a train wreck. And they don't want anyone else to see the problems. And the minute you start hiding your flaws uh, and you really want to expose your flaws, you know, there I heard about Arnold Schwarzenegger used to wear like one of those cut off shirts to expose his abs all the time because he says, I got to really work on my abs. So he would expose his weakness and it would wow. constantly remind him that I got to work on my abs Right. Um, so there's those types of things where you don't you need to get help and, and realize what you're weak in, you know, utilize your strengths. And that's part of the problems where when I was employed and I would have my yearly review, my supervisor would always say, what are you strong at and what are your weaknesses? And then how are we going to fix your weaknesses? So, you know, supervisors are always trying to figure out how to fix your weaknesses, where an entrepreneur and a business owner is saying, well, I'm going to focus on my strength and I'm going to hire out or partner with someone on my weaknesses because that's their strength. So, you know, you got to learn to leverage your strengths and find someone else to do your weaknesses. Well, you know, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't know where it's at, but I was given a book from my cousin. She works at Gallup. Um, they, they're like the, like, you know, if you've heard of them, they're like yeah, the biggest Delphos. research company in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it, the book, God, I wish I had it right there so I could name drop it. I, I don't remember the name of it, but it talks about how the golden rule of, of life where people say, treat everybody the same. When you're a manager, when you're in charge of other employees, that's bullshit. You should actually treat people for one, what they bring to the table. That's one part of the book. It's, it's, treat your high performers better because they deserve it. And then, you know, there's that, they earn the seniority, but then at the same extent, stop turning your employees into who you think they should be. Identify what they're good at and then exploit that or take advantage. Not I use the word take advantage, but you know what I mean? Utilize that. And, and they still like, I'm not talking about like somebody who shows up late, but is good at being organized, have them be organized. No, you still have to yeah. be, you have to do the, you have to be a team leader. You have to show up, you have to be the good employee. But then on top of that, when, instead of turning somebody who's quiet into a salesperson, take them and put them in the back office and make them, have them do what they're good at. It's just, it's just a different mindset. Yeah. That was the perfect analogy. I was going to say, you know, the, the real talkers and the people, people should be the salesmen. And then there's some people that are just a numbers people and just don't like all of the stimulus of a lot of people, right? So you got your bean counters, you've got your salesmen, you've got the people that are the techies that want to do just the, the hands-on physical maintenance type things and whatever it may be. So find out what they're good at and, and they'll be happier. They'll probably have better performance mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, figure out what everybody's good at. And, you know, that's, that's really the key. So, and For that's the sure. same thing as a, as a business owner is, and uh, that's, and, and I, unfortunately, I've learned to be good at a lot of things that I didn't necessarily like or enjoy. But, um, you know, you, you want to be able to focus on your strengths and not your weaknesses. 
I think something to mention there too, Jeff, is like when you first start a business, you kind of have to be that person that does it all. But as you start yeah. to delegate, as you start to grow your business, literally, in fact, my business coach had me do this. He had me write down all the things that I don't like doing in my business. And at that time, it was typing invoices, sending emails, going to sales consultations. You know, it's stuff that I liked when I first got going. But after a while, it's like I it's and it's not that I don't like doing it. It's that I don't have the time to do it. And and some of them were I don't like to do it. But in, when you first start your business, you have to kind of do it all. But then as you scale, you delegate the things you don't want to do to, to enable you to do, have the time to do the things you're good at. Because nobody likes doing the things they're not good at. They like doing the things that they're good at and that they're creative with and that they feel empowered doing. So it's all about creating a life, going after what you want, realizing that you're going to have to do more than what you probably want to do at first. But then as you gain success, as you get that momentum going down the hill, you start to delegate the things that you don't like to do which makes you more powerful, quickens up your speed because all of a sudden you find somebody that likes going through emails, that likes doing books, and then they're excited. They feel good doing it. You feel good doing what you're doing. And then it just continues to pick up. You know, you look at like Walmart or like Amazon, these huge companies, they just have this massive momentum. And they, and fortunately, they have some slack that they can work with to try to figure out how to get the right people in the right places because of that momentum. And they just keep on getting bigger and bigger. Like a lot of people say the rich get richer and that's definitely true, but it's not because they're bad people. It's because they're smart and they figure out how to exploit their focus in the right avenues and the right ways. And all of a sudden it's just there, they get better and better. And each time they're learning as they go. And it's just, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And that's why I'm so fascinated with business. I'm sure you're equally as fascinated for reasons like that. It, like as we get more into it, it only gets easier and more successful. It's really a cool thing it is and that's why i say start early because uh start early rip 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 off the band-aid early it said i I said i didn't start until i was uh yeah i started my first business i was 32 um but uh you know i was also you know in the rat race right i was driving a new car had a new house had kids had all of those expenses and I'm not saying you need to go out and quit your job. I, I totally, you know, I understand you need to be safe and secure and you need to make sure that the bills are paid, but you should be taking a look at, can I start a side hustle? Can I have a side business? Can I yeah. start, maybe start buying single family home, you know, buy a rental. And if your plan is to just buy and one rental every two, three years, and after 10 years, you've got four or five of them, that might be it. You know, you're already at, I talk about where, I talk about the 5% and, and I want to be in the 5% club. And, uh, you know, I'm in the 5% trying to figure out how to get to the 1% club. So, but, wow. but, but yeah. when you take a look at, and you, we talked about high school and, and early on, everybody has hopes, dreams, ambitions, and what they want to do. And then for some reason, only, uh, you know, only five out of a hundred actually make it to be financially secure and, and independent and that's just ridiculous i mean when it you've is. got when you've got this thing right here a cell phone and the technology that's here when i started back in 2002 we were still up on dial-up internet and we were still wow <laughs> that's one of that's why my first business was actually high-speed internet i was a wireless isp um you know i was putting in high-speed internet into homes but you know, you with you with the internet and with social media and the availability with technology and AI and all the stuff that's going on, 
if you're not, if you can't become financially free and independent and, and are a business owner in today's, then, you know, you need to take a look in the mirror and figure out why, um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's easier than ever today. You know, with these podcasts, with YouTube videos, with everything that's out there, there's so much free content that you can literally learn just about anything if you really want to and dive into it. Everybody has a choice. So you pay the bills and your job from eight to five. What you do in your spare time is what's going to make you financially free and rich. Exactly. Exactly. Like I was just going to, I was literally just going to say, Jeff, after you saying that, how simple it is and how much sense it seems to make to, to not work for somebody else or to, to not, you basically just identified how important it is for people to look into <clears throat> making money outside of their job. And <clears throat> it, to some people that might be a little overwhelming because maybe they have two kids, they've got a family, they've got ba- baseball mm-hmm. practice, they've got all that. Well, yeah. I guess my biggest piece of advice that I could give out the little that I know is work on yourself. Imagine your, your brain is like a computer the more information, the right information that you take in, you're basically downloading the software to be able to use it. And so when you read books, when you watch YouTube videos, when you yeah, read articles on Facebook, whatever it is that are, that are important, you are <clears throat> downloading information. You're downloading the framework to be able to go out and do stuff. So right now, hearing Jeff say, you know, if you can't start a business, if you can't see the benefit in doing all this, then you're pretty much don't have a brain. Don't let that. And that's not exactly how you said it, Jeff. I'm just I'm, <laughs> I'm using simpler words to some people that might seem overwhelming because they're not coming from the success side of already running a business. But the thing is, is the way in life, if you want a better relationship, if you want a better family, if you want to start a business, if you want to look better, the number one, the first place to start is on yourself. Yeah. Just cut out a few minutes every day or start reading real estate books or start getting to the gym if you want to feel better. Like if, if you're not that confident, happy, mo- uh, motivated person, positively motivated person, you're not going to make it happen. It's just like that. And I feel like I've talked about this analogy a hundred times in my podcast, but it's just like that. The analogy of when the air thing comes, when you're in an airplane, when the oxygen mask comes, you have to take care of yourself before you take care of anybody else. And that's just so freaking important. And it's easy to hear two successful people talk about all their success and think, how could I do that? Well, the re- the way you do that is you start reading books, you talk to people like Jeff, you talk to business owners like me, and you just, you, you learn from them. You try, you realize that every day is an, a, a, an opportunity to try and you just keep moving forward. And and then all of a sudden you're going to wake up one day and be like, holy shit, look at what I'm doing. And then you start to build that muscle of momentum and confidence. And then all of a sudden you're just like swinging deals and making money and you're on podcast talking about it. And it's just really cool. So I want this podcast to be extremely motivating and inspiring. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be because Jeff and I are not any smarter than the average person out there. Jeff's definitely smarter than I am, but I'll, and, and I can't assume that I know Jeff's testing skills but <laughs> the point is is we aren't doing super hardcore shit we i mean jeff's into syndications and large fund deals but still jeff got going in his 30s right which is still very young don't get me wrong yeah. but that goes to show there's time to 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 make shit happen so just believe in yourself work on yourself put yourself in the right room read the right books 
figure out what books the people you want to become are reading, read those books, keep working hard day after day and, and keep listening to the Michael Maloney show and, and you'll be inspired to make great things happen. But Jeff, thanks so much for coming on today. Do you have any just last comments before we jump off of here? Boy, that, you know, that was a lot. I would say, yeah, just get started. Just get out there and get started and get around like-minded individuals and just awesome. make a commitment to listen to your show every week. Listen to the podcast. It's never been easier than it is now to, you know, instead of binge watching Netflix, binge watch the Michael Maloney show, binge watch, you know, podcasts money. And, yeah. and educational and, and they're out there and you're going to start to, your mindset's going to start to change. And then pretty soon you're going to start taking action. So, you know, it takes time. We've been, I've been in this been uh, since 2002. So over 20 years and you know, the first 10 years was the hardest <laughs> and 10 years yeah. is a long time, but you know, you start building momentum. If you play it, if you ever played the game monopoly, there's always one guy that starts winning and then everybody else wants to quit because it's no fun anymore. And the guy that's winning says, wow, this is a hard game. It's been going on a long time, but all of a sudden now it's starting to get fun and now I'm winning. And that does happen. And it just takes some time. You're going to be some bumps on the road. Everybody has to pay a price and everybody's price is their individual price. It's, nobody's price is the same, but you got to get started. You got to get started. That was another episode of The Michael Maloney Show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.